Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been going through the book of Romans. We're getting towards the end. And we heard uh, the verses following this. And uh, we're going to look at them too as well as this and even, of course, some of the verses from last week of chapter 12 because it all puts it into context at least for us instead of plucking out this um, sentence here and uh, leaving it stand on its own. Be subject to your governing authorities. You know, you better obey God, uh, obey me, God said. <laughs> or maybe some supporters of a particular mm, politician might use this, pluck it out and say, you have to respect, honour, submit to that leader, you know, the one that I support. I don't think Paul, that's Paul's big point. Uh, Paul, of course, has good news to tell us, and if he's going to tell us good news, well, he's going to show us Christ and uh, uh, the, what Christ does for us and how that changes our lives. And um, we've looked at that. Remember, we came right through the chapters of Romans and we heard a lot about God's love for us, God's grace to us, what Jesus has done for us, that his, we can, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, all those wonderful texts of God's love and God's grace in our life. And then we came to chapter 12, which said, Therefore. Remember that? And when you get a therefore, you ask what it's there for. And it's there for <laughs> what's gone ahead. Ah, uh, gone ahead, gone before. And so now what we're hearing about is, you know, as I said last week, I think, uh, all that stuff about God's love for us, God's grace in our lives, not just something to file away in our filing cabinet up here or file away on our mm, computers. But it has, has something to do with the everyday life that we live. And so Paul's getting into that in chapter 12 and now chapter 13. I just want to uh, say this, that the crowds aren't following Jesus. The leaders aren't bending their knees to Jesus, yet Jesus remains the saviour of the world and that's where we'll find good news. And to get into the context of when Paul was writing, he was writing to the Romans, of course the Roman emperors were in power and mostly they fought for power. There generally weren't kind of easy transitions of power from one emperor to the other. And those emperors at that time definitely didn't follow Jesus and weren't bending their knee to Jesus and they were pretty rough on the early Christians at times. And one of those, very famous, maybe, infamous, was Nero. And he was emperor at the time Paul was writing, uh, Romans, and... Um, Persecution of Christians took place under Nero's rule, but not yet when Paul was writing. Um, but at the time when Paul wrote, Nero publicised propaganda that his rule was the dawn of a golden age and that he had come to power in a peaceful manner, unlike all the others who grabbed power in an underhanded way. No, he didn't. The rumours, however, were that Nero's mother had poisoned Claudius, who was her husband, <laughs> and that paved the way for Nero to become, come into power. 
So the propaganda was that Nero rose to power in peace, but the whispers going around underground told a very different story of a scandalous rise to power of the emperor. So imagine being a Christian living back at that time. Imagine the difficulties Christians would have to deal with. How do you relate to civil authorities when publicly they say one thing and privately do another? How in the world do you relate to a civil authority who would just say one thing out there in the public and then just blatantly and outright do another thing for their political advantage? Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Not just happening back then. Not so unfamiliar. And so what do we do? How do we live with that? And how do you as a follower of Christ submit to your authorities? Well, some people just pull away from all of that and refuse to have anything to do with politics because they're all just a bunch of crooks anyway. So why should we have anything to do with them? Some Christians say, and they withdraw totally from the political world and from all the responsibilities they have as citizens because politics is corrupt. Let's not have anything to do with it. And others get really involved in the political realm, perhaps on the other side, to force some kind of Christian government where we can gain power and influence over people and we can force people to follow God's word with our political power. I don't think Paul was talking about any of that. The Christians in Rome, anyway, for the second point, didn't have any power. They were forced underground and yet Paul is looking at them and saying, submit to the government authority. So what really does that mean? How do we relate to this? And our picture for this week is this fresco uh, which comes from the catacomb. catacombs, the graves of the Christians under the streets of Rome. If you walk the streets of Rome today, you could see lots of monuments and arches and artwork, but you wouldn't see this unless you went underground because it's painted there um, where they buried their dead. Um, it was painted, this particular one was painted some years after Paul wrote his letter and things had got worse, not better for Christians. They were killed in persecution. And just look at that painting. I don't know how clear it comes up. But it is a painting of Jesus the Good Shepherd and it's not kind of the one we're used to. In, if you look at the figure that is Jesus, he's depicted, Jesus is depicted there as a shepherd boy. A shepherd boy. He hasn't got a long flowing beard or anything there. He's a shepherd boy with a sheep, lamb of some sort over his neck. So the painting doesn't show anything powerful at all. It just shows a small shepherd boy. And these early Christians, suffering persecution and dying for their faith, they painted this picture, and actually I'm told it was quite a common picture, that Jesus is the good shepherd picture at their graves. It's interesting that the gospel we heard today, uh, which talks about seeking and saving the lost, really, getting the lost to come back, 
together into the family of God by the forgiveness of sins. Uh, the, the very verses before that are Jesus telling the parable of a man who owns a hundred sheep, one wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for that one that's wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. So with this painting, we see where the early Christians received their hope when faced by mm, power of the world. Literally, this picture, we can say, is painted in the valley of the shadow of death. And those early Christians saw pictures like this every time they buried their dead. It shows where they looked to, where their trust was, where their hope was. The power that they looked to was in Jesus, who is weak by the world's standards. And this is how, uh, this is who the, those early Christians put their trust in. This is the power of God that they understood. Jesus, the good shepherd, who never leaves or forsakes his sheep. He's always out there seeking the lost and the forgotten one. But just imagine, they've buried their dead and they come out of that darkness and out into the world. How difficult that must have been for them to believe in Jesus and yet live in Rome in the midst of its power and might. How do you live in this as a Christian? How could you live in one world knowing that you are a citizen of the next. Well, Paul wrote mm, this just before he wrote, you know, honour your civil authorities. He wrote these things like this. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And then, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. We talked about that last week. Uh, sharing and showing the love of Christ in our everyday world. If you think back, we thought about uh, the huge monuments of Rome and we talked about us being the flesh and blood monuments of God in this world. Showing God's love to people. So in other words, Paul... Uh, uh, sorry, and then he goes on to say, let's say... I'm getting a bit lost here. Okay, Paul has said all of these things and then he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. So he's framed, he's framing that. And then we heard the text that was read earlier also in this don't owe anyone anything except love. Love fulfills all the commandments. And here, in the middle of it, we have let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Don't pay back evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. 
So subject to the authorities doesn't mean absolute, absolute obedience, no matter what. Romans 13 has been used previously to defend some shocking regimes just by saying you have to obey them because God's word said. It's not an unconditional um, obedience happening there. I think Paul immediately gets us looking away not away from the civil authorities, but gets us to look at the source of the power that is given to them. He already does that in verse 13, but in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, sorry, he also does that in verse 4. He turns us from looking at the power of the world, focusing on where the true power is and where their power comes from. It's from God. This is how Paul says it in Chapter 13, verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay? So they have got a power, or a legitimate power. They may take power illegitimately too. That's the danger, of course, with earthly powers. But there is a legitimate power. That isn't our power as the church, for example. We don't have the power to arrest people who don't come to church, for example. <laughs> and we don't have the power to, to um, fine people who speed past this church. That's not our, in our authority. There are authorities who can do that. Christians aren't about grabbing power and they aren't into punishing Law breakers. Paul goes on to say, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So there are, there are punishers of law breakers but it's not us. And the ultimate punisher of course is God but civil disobedience and that kind of stuff, uh, uh, breaking the law kind of thing or other issues are dealt with by the authorities and we defer that to them and we honour them for doing that. And I've done that myself. As an example, I could say uh, many years ago when I was doing a study year, I think, in Adelaide and I was driving to church and I was going to preach that Sunday and I was just waiting to veer left onto a busy road which I couldn't drive onto, I had to give way, and some young fella in a smart, expensive car that belonged to his father just drove into the back of me because he wasn't looking. And so, of course, what did I do? Oh, I took down his details. I had to get to church. He took mine, I took his. We rep I reported it to the police and other authorities dealt with it. I didn't um, go to the church service later and said, let's go and chase this man down and, and punish him for crashing into the pastor's car on his way to church, kind of thing. That was dealt with by legitimate authorities which we honour and respect and let them uh, deal with it because actually he was totally 100% in the wrong in that instance. And also, although in my heart I could say I forgave him, I didn't just say, don't worry about it. I let, uh, you know, the authorities deal with the costs of those things according to insurance agreements and things. 
So we aren't into grabbing power as a church and we aren't into punishing lawbreakers. What we are about doing is doing good. Serving our neighbour. So respect the authorities, but don't be controlled by them. Respect them, but know that God is in charge. We don't hear Paul saying, submit or else. You better submit no matter what. You better submit because these people in power are the ones I like. The submission is about recognising God as the one who gives the power. It says simply that along with all kinds of people Christians have to deal with. There are also authorities in power that Christians deal with and we do it in the spirit of Christ. Once again, right at the end of this chapter, Paul brings this up again. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law and he finishes with, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to our picture. In a hostile world where the crowds aren't following Jesus, leaders aren't bending their knee to Jesus, yet Jesus remains the saviour of the world. And um, as Christians, know where to go. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and then love the person that's next to you. You love your neighbours. Think of something that you could do in the place and situation you are in so that the world would see love, God's love through you. Love goes a long way, I can tell you. When people see Christians loving, and this situation of the Christians, the early Christians was exactly that. Living in such a society as they did, with uh, the authorities not bending their knee to Jesus, Christians were known. See how they love others. See how they love others. So the world can see love, God's love through you. That will go a long way. And it has a power that political authority can't match. God's love at work in your life, in serving your neighbour. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.